Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and I'm here today with Tom and we are here for faculty meeting 152 moments and maps and this is a look back at Dungeon Talk episode 15. Tom say hello to everyone. Hello everyone that's me once again you're with Michael. They bring you that content, that sweet, sweet content you love. That sweet, sweet content that we love so much. Though some of you do seem to love it a little bit more. So we have taken the opportunity, the initiative, whatever you want to say, to totally revamp our Patreon campaign. It looks different. It's cleaner. It's more streamlined. Hopefully it makes a little bit more sense. And one of the things that we have said for we would do for years is when people join the Patreon, we'd give them a little shout out. And sometimes we did, sometimes we didn't. So it's been really inconsistent. So we are going to take a moment at the top of this show, and we're going to thank each one of our current patrons. I have done the very similar thing when I've listened to other podcasts. Sometimes they, they read a long list of names. I'm like, I don't need all this. There's not that many. There's there's a, not as many as we'd like, but there's there's quite a few people. And these people, they deserve a little bit of recognition. So please bear with us for this short moment as we quickly read over the names of all of our patrons. These are in chronological order for who has been around the longest. Now, there are some people who left very recently because we changed things up. Uh, Larry specifically, I'll call him out. He left Patreon, but then he gave us a one-time donation through PayPal that was be like, like a year's worth of donation. So he's still considered a patron. He's just not through the system. So if you left recently and you don't get your name called, I'm sorry. Larry's outside the system. Exactly. He's off the Larry grid. Operates, he operates outside the system. So again, from who's been around the longest to the newest, we have Scott Brown, classic Scott himself. Thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate it. Simon Zed, Shane, aka Mundangerous from the Total Party Thrill podcast, Lisa Slack, Rich Howard, uh, Jared Smith of the faculty, the other Jared, RKL, Richard Kurtz Landry, Peter Harina, Chris Wittage, and Targris. Uh, who Michael, but everybody knows Miss Targus. Uh, Remy Bilodoua. Uh, Remy, I know I'm so sorry. I just wanted to say it very, very French esque, you know. All right, I'm, I'm just sorry. glad I, that was on you and not on me. <laughs> I, yeah, Remy's cool. All right, James Sweetland, Justin Coster, Miko Mikola, Alan J. Nicholas, Curtis Davies, Samuel Noyce, Edward Tate. Noyce. I Noyce. What a good name. <laughs> Edward Tate. Brett, New York Tater himself. Yeah, okay. Brett Moore and Tigranosaurus. We also have Ariel Weiss, the crew from Fandable. Tom, Tom, you're on this list. I know, I know. It's purely for testing, but <laughs> there we are. I, it's inf- I've created an infinite money loop. I give money to the Patreon and I just get it back. We have to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> uh, Mitch and Neil from the Block Party Podcast Network and all the other people that are associated with it. Porter... Mo P, Josh Newton, G.Y. Diaz, and then we have two that are strictly or primarily from Farm to Fable, Brian Kurtz and Sandy Clark Watson. Rachel Cleveland, Bob the Tree, Brian Ables, Chris Nottingham. And Chris is our baby. He's just been around just for a few days, but we really appreciate it. So thank you all so very much for donating literally your money to make the RPG Academy what it is. Literally could not do it without you. Uh, Going forward, we are only going to announce when new patrons join, or we're also going to do a um, basically a patron of the week or the patron of the show. And this week, it is Alan, Big Al Nichols. Definitely at this point, I consider Alan a friend. You know, I don't know if he feels the same way, but he's been doing more and more stuff. He's just been around for a while. I really like Al. He's he's one of my regular co-hosts on Farm to Fable. So this episode specifically is uh, dedicated to Alan. Thank you, sir. This one goes out to Al. <laughs> a long, de- de- long distance dedication. All right. So before we get into the show, we always like to take a second to say why we're here. The goal of these faculty meeting episodes is that at some point in the conversation that Tom and I are about to have, we hope that there is something, some little nugget of wisdom that you, the listener, can take back and make your games at your table more fun. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? 
If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you and the people at your table are having a good time, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, let's start with the RPG news. What do you have for me, sir? Oh, uh, this is this one is a spice. This is a spicy meatball, okay? So Kickstarter every year, I, more Kickstarter news, all right? You talk about needing to corral their PR, okay? Everybody knows about Zine Quest, okay? Zine Quest is the big indie zine Kickstarter co-op slash kind of marketing launch that Kickstarter does every year. And well, not every year. They've started doing it since like 2019. Basically, it's a time when Kickstarter focuses a lot of the their branding towards indie RPGs. So basically, a lot of indie creators participate in Zine Quest. They put their, I've backed so many Zine Quest games, it's disgusting. But there's always been a little bit of controversy with Zine Quest. So like last year, for example, the One Ring did their Kickstarter during Zine Quest and kind of dwarfed everybody. But mm-hmm. there was a lot of people that were upset about that, and I understand why. So Kickstarter, though, they're like, okay, we want more eyes on indie RPGs, all right? So they decided that they weren't going to do Zine Quest in February. They decided that they were going to do Zine Quest in August of this year to coincide with Gen Con, all right? Because they're like, that is our biggest funding month, all right? Because everybody's eyes are on tabletop games. The problem with this is that if indie RPGs got dwarfed last year by the One Ring, they're going to get dwarfed even more by big studios. Because last year in August, we had Avatar Kickstarter, which was the biggest Kickstarter ever. And August is, because it's around Gen Con, it's the historic month for big studios doing their Kickstarters. So basically, uh, indie I, Kickstarter really didn't think about this. They got, went ahead and they shoved all of their indie games into their largest funded month, but it's the largest funded month because that's when all the big games go on Kickstarter. All right. Mm. So a lot of people were upset about that and I get it. But actually, what wound up happening was a bunch of indie creators decided that, you know what? we're going to decentralize this and we're not going to use Kickstarter. So they decided to come up with Zine Month. So the people who decided to organize Zine Month was Feral Studio. All right. That's a small indie RPG group. And they created a website called Zine Month where you can basically what they're doing is, and that's not where they're funding the games, but you can submit your game to be put on there. And it's a very simple website. And it's basically a place where you can go and see all the games in a real nice, easy manner Click on the game and it'll take you to where it's being funded. So it's not just one funding spot. And they give resources for creators like here's all these different funding sites. Here's the things you need to do. It's really slick. So this is going to be in February. So just like Zine Quest, which we're all used to, because the other thing is Kickstarter kind of dropped this on everybody kind of last minute. We all know that zines or I mean, even zines, most RPGs, they you just don't come up with them. People have been planning to launch in February, mm-hmm. and they just announced a few weeks ago that they were going to be moving it in aug- to August. And February is the next month. So Zine Month stepped in, and they're going to be uh, checking out. I've reached out to Zine Month to see if we can get them on the show, because I want to talk to them about this and talk more about their idea for decentralizing tabletop RPG funding. So hopefully they respond and we can get that interview. Because I think this this is kind of big news, especially with the Kickstarter's crypto stuff. You just had your yeah. you just had your podcast with Jay Dragon. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I think this is going to be a running theme through the next year as people start to look outside of Kickstarter. So lots of I'm sure lots of other news is going to drop about this. Uh, yeah. So just to piggyback on that, yes, I did have an episode that just came out recently. If you missed that, maybe circle back to it. It's just a bonus episode about. Announcement Kickstarter is going to move their services to blockchain. We try, Jay Dragon and I, and mostly they, to make a little bit more sense about what that means and why there are so many people who seem to be upset. I think ultimately, you know, too long didn't read what we decided, at least what I've decided, is that at the moment, there's not a lot else we can do. Kickstarter is still just the biggest game in town, but they haven't shown a lot of goodwill towards the creators, and there's reason to be questionable about their practices and there's, there's good reason to maybe start looking for other avenues if you are a creator but if you are someone who backs kickstarters ethically if you see a kickstarter that you want to support 
then it's probably, you know, the, the weight, I should say, of do I back this because I want that creator to succeed probably surpasses the, but I'm not sure I want to support Kickstarter anymore until there's other options. Uh, and then I'll just tie with that. We are going to be restarting Econ Fundamentals, where every other week or so, we are going to take a look at some crowdfunded RPGs, tabletop games that you might be interested in. And we are just going to sort of open it up so it doesn't have to be Kickstarter. There are two other main uh, crowdfunding sites right now. One is called Game on Tabletop. The other is Game Found. Both of them are minuscule compared to Kickstarter, but they are also both focused strictly on tabletop games. They're not like everything like Kickstarter is. So to begin with, more than likely, all the ones we highlight will probably come from Kickstarter. But our goal and our hope is that over time, we will see that shift and that, you know, we'll have more from other various and maybe even not even including those two, but other, uh, you know, some of these ZineQuest, ZineQuest might come into it. Yep. So, yeah. So uh, just stay tuned for that. Econ Fundamentals. First episode should be out before the end of January. And that's really that's really the news right now. That was a big thing that I just need, thought we needed to talk about. Other than that, it's just more games coming out for next year. More games. Uh, other news quickly from us. Uh, we have another new podcast that is going to be starting soon. We have the first episode recorded, and I'm going to be editing it and sending it out to the patrons as well as some other like podcasty friends I have for feedback. But I thought it went really well. I think it does what we want it to do. It's going to be very different than, well, I don't say, like, it's not, it's different than what we normally do at the RPG Academy, but it's still about role-playing games. It's still about D&D and stuff like that. But most of what we talk about is theoretical. Like, maybe do this, maybe do that. It's all very loosey-goosey. This is going to be more about, here's maybe an actual rule you can apply, but it's, it's themed in a certain way. I don't want to give it away yet, uh, but hopefully that'll be coming to your ear holes soon. Okay, now let's move on to, we got any Action 12 updates, Michael? Only Miner Tracy contacted me just today and said that they are currently digging into the revised rules and they hope to have the text back to me by the end of the month. So I I will have an idea of how far along they think we are to completion and maybe have a better time frame of when our game might or might not hit a crowdfunding site later this year. Cool. All right, that's big news. That's big news. So... Okay, well, what about a Catacon news? So I got the quote back from the other potential site, and it was even higher than our DCC quote, okay. which our DCC quote was a lot lower than I was expecting, yep. but it pretty much puts it out of the running. There's, there's no reason, unless it's actually cheaper than what we would have at DCC, to go through the, the hassle of moving locations, moving venues, leaving our home. I mean, it would have to have been like really, really cheap, and it is not. So I, I basically, I didn't counter offer. I just said like you, you would have to lower this by half before I would even consider it. I don't expect you can do that. So if, you know, for now we're we're not going to consider you. They, you know, I left it open ended. They might come back and say, sure, we'll do it. Maybe they just want our business that bad. But more than likely, full steam ahead. Dayton, same dates as you know we've already announced. So uh, I would say. I can't imagine they would lower their rates that low. So I think we're pretty much done with that. So Okay, nice. Okay, well, uh, yeah, that's your news, podcast updates, all that kind of stuff. So I guess it's time to talk about some old episodes of Dungeon Talk, specifically Dungeon Talk 15. You all had a lot of good conversation in this one, all right? Nice. So like I said last time, the episode felt more like cohesive and it wasn't just kind of you and Evan just kind of hanging out. You guys were dishing out advice and everything. This episode was called Group Discussion. I don't know why. I think it was probably because Nico was on the episode and Jared. So you had a group? Yep. Okay. It wasn't just Evan and I. Okay, there you go. So obviously I was super glad to hear Nico back, that wise sage. And then also having Jared, the dissenting voice to you and mm. Evan was fantastic. So this is like another good episode. So you all started with just a table topic, all right? And this table topic was how to give players special moments. So the the example that you were kind of you guys were kind of just talking about is how to make uh you're you're in your game, you you want there's a moment that you want to give the player, like to really elevate them and to help them to have a good memory about the game. So it's like how do you give them 
that moment because it's in your head. So how do you help them role play that out? So I guess the the big question is, what, is, what do you what do we mean here when we talk about character moments to you, Michael? What does that mean? So, any well, I guess because I have not listened to that episode in a while, so I don't know specifically what you know, like in specifically that was talking about. But just asking me, I think. Sometimes a character moment can be a small thing, and I do talk about this quite a lot, so this is going to be repeating things I've said many times, but I really enjoy letting character players describe what failure looks like. Mm. So if they do a skill check and they're doing a climb check and they fail, I think it's a lot of fun on occasion, not every time. A lot of it has to do with pacing and other things in the game, but say... Why did your character fail that? Like, you're a trained rogue. You have a dexterity of 18. You should not have failed this. So what happened? Why, why did you fail here? And let them come up with, maybe they were distracted because of something else that happened. Maybe they were thinking forward to this, you know, moment their character might have with another NPC in the future. Whatever the case may be. I, the, the standard example I give when I sort of teach this technique is maybe the barbarian says, well, I just picked a bad route. Like, I, I looked up at the cliff and I was impulsive and brash, and I didn't study it, and I just started climbing, and I got to a point where it just, it was impossible. Like, there was literally without, you know, without supernatural help, there was impossible to climb that way, so all I, all I could do was climb back down. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter, because the role says they didn't climb, and as long as they're still on this side of whatever they tried to climb, you're fine. But the reason why they weren't able to do the thing is going to look very different to them and in their character's head than, than me, the DM. Cause I'm almost always going to go for the quick joke and say, how hey, you fell on your butt, yeah. you know, kind of a thing where they might take this and actually make like a character building moment. But I think specifically for this example, we're talking, talking about more big things like when in your backstory, you know, your parents were tragically murdered and now you're about to face down with the person who ordered it who or who did it, or you finally found your long lost twin or you, you know, it's a big moment that you've built through multiple sessions of the story to a to a sort of a climax, whether it's the end of the campaign or like a middle tier sort of thing. How do you make sure that that moment is given the time and gravitas it deserves versus just roll your attack, 12 damage, ha, they're dead, and then you sort of move on? That's what you guys were kind of talking about, that whole idea of between just you get to this role play moment and as the DM, making sure that it's not just have them roll and then they succeed but really turning what we everybody talks about putting the spotlight on a single player mm-hmm. and that's what this was but i so i was listening to this and one of the things you guys didn't talk about that i wish you would have is how do you balance that though at the table because one of the problems that i've had in the past is when i go to do that it feels very much like a it it it, it I needed these moments with this player, but it can feel very much like me and this one player are having a moment and I'm kind of excluding everybody else. So how do you, how do you handle that? Or how do you feel about that sort of exclusion? So I think this is, um, this is something you talk about beforehand. uh, And this is something that hopefully the table just feels comfortable with that. I'm going to do my best and my best may be a failure. That's just the way it works sometimes. But my best is going to be, I'm going to even it out. Okay. And if this is a this is a set session where me and Caleb or Brad and I or Lisa and I, talking about our 13th age game, is really focused on on that character, I just want the other characters to know you're going to get your time to shine. And yes, maybe I didn't balance it well. And last session was also a Lisa session, and this session is a Lisa <laughs> session. But I don't want to take away from this moment yeah. because I messed up in the past. Like yeah. I was, I didn't think about, oh, next session is going to be a big Lisa session. And just this last session turned into a Lisa session and, and I rolled with it. So give me the grace to say, I'm going to let Lisa shine. I'm going to, I'm going to let her have that spotlight. I'm going to make sure she has the most possible fun this session because I have faith that in the next session or two, it'll be my turn. Yeah, you know, and I just I, make sure your players understand that, and let them know. You know, again, maybe I messed up. Maybe it's been Lisa for three sessions in a row, and I've not not really like grokked that and realized it. Say, hey, I had a great time tonight. Would have liked for my character to have at least a moment, even if I didn't have the moment. Type yeah. Of thing. So it's still a dialogue. There's still opportunities for improvement and that kind of thing. But 
I just, as a player, if I recognize it at someone's moment, I'm going to shut up and let them have their moment. And I hope that the other players would, would do the same. That's okay. So I think that's super important advice too. We tend to give advice to the dungeon master so often, but this is great player advice. If somebody is having a moment, lean into it. Don't just pick up your phone. Really just because you learning about their character and experiencing that moment is going to help you when you have your moment or when you role play more in that session, kind of use what they just did to kind of just kind of make the story more, more nuanced. Like you now know how that character is feeling, but you know, if you're distracted the whole time and it's not your moment, so you're not going to listen. I know it's hard, but just like, just try, just lean forward, act you know, act, role play it, role play that you are enjoying listening to this conversation between the dungeon master and a player. I think that'll, that'll just really elevate your table, make your table just feel so much better. There's, but there's like, there's like three terms. Okay. Because this is Alan's episode. Okay. And I know Alan's has family members who play volleyball because he's, he occasionally will go live on Facebook and, and play <laughs> games. I wanted to use that because I was going to use football because I'm, oh. I'm more of a football person, but yes, the quarterback and the receiver and the running back usually get the accolades and imagine in volleyball the person who jumps up and spikes it probably gets the accolades but you don't get to that in volleyball i think it's bump so you bump the ball when it comes across then you set it up and then the third person comes in and spikes it be the person who does the bump in the setup yeah because the team scores yeah hope alan i hope you appreciated that so yeah absolutely maybe next time you'll be the one that gets the spike but you know and i, I say the same thing about like letting your character be the butt of a joke sometimes you know if, if it works out there's a role play situation where you have to be made the fool of whether it's from another character like an npc or a player lean into that like let your character be the person who gets made fun of or who gets to be the butt of the joke knowing that eventually down the line you'll get to turn it around it's all, you know, it's, it's a long process um if your character can never you know basically you turn into the fast and the furious like vin diesel you can never lose a fight it it loses a little bit i think okay the the other aspect that you all were talking about was the idea of the difference between crafting in creating a story moment, like a specific, like I want to get this story moment in based on your backstory and creating a world where players can create their own moments. So, mm-hmm. Michael, I know that you, you kind of, you've described the type of games that you like to run. You describe them as like a, a theme park where players can kind of go to different things and interact with them. But for you, where as the Dungeon Master, what do you find the most enjoyment in? Is it creating the story moment and getting the player to grab it or is it creating the world where the players then creating their own story modes because they're exploring the world so i'm gonna cheat and say a little bit of both oh you can't do that i hate that when you do that okay fine. probably back then i would have been a lot more focused on and i still am to a point like i feel like i do a pretty good job like and, and humility aside i think i do a pretty good job running games i'm definitely not the best in the world but i think i'm closer to the best than i am to the worst could be wrong that's my opinion so I like to think that if I have put some time, effort, and energy in, and I know your character's backstory because we did a session zero, didn't take a drink, and I kind of know what you're going for, that I can help, you know, seed in these elements. Like you're in a situation similar to that. Like, okay, you get to save some orphans because in your backstory there was a tragedy, someone died, and you couldn't save them. Or, uh, you know, there's a situation where you get to uh, help, you know, a, a village that's being overrun by a tyrannical, you know, baron or that kind of thing. Because in your backstory, you were in the military and you did a bad thing for the wrong leader and then you left. Like, I want to try to create not the same situation, but situations that feel close to each other so that they, they, they give you a chance to sort of, you know, have a catharsis, right? But what I have gotten better at is recognizing what the players are actually doing. And then changing it to weave those elements in. So it's not me weaving a story to an ultimate conclusion. I, I will start there because that's what I'm, I always start there. Like, this is what I think is going to happen. But if the players start to do other things or maybe, you know, maybe in their background, they are sort of, sort of set themselves up to do something, but the character is not doing that whatsoever. They have, you know, sort of, which happens all the time, happens to me a lot. I have a backstory and my character doesn't act any way that you think makes sense and go, okay, well, that was what they ended up doing. In that situation, that's how they reacted. So I might drop what I thought I was building to 
and now try to build towards what it seems like they, they themselves are aimed towards, if that makes sense. So I'm still going to start with what I think and build towards it, but it, I'm going to take what they give me and either completely divert towards that or try to incorporate it. So it's, it's definitely going to feel more organic Again, more organic, one of my favorite words in role-playing games, or it makes sense. You know, it's like if you should be able to follow all the threads, whether it's because they follow the ones that I thought they would follow, or I have blended theirs into the pattern. Gotcha. So for me, I do both as well, but not in the same games. So when I play D&D, I very much create like very specific story moments. I will, I really read my player's backstory. I know the NPCs that they want to interact with. I will ask them about it because the way I run D&D, I usually run modules. It's very story focused, very much more on the rails. Uh, but then I also, between running Faith, the sci-fi RPG, and then Forbidden Lands now, I don't do that, all right? And it's a different type of game. It's a sandbox game. And so, and I've been playing with the same group of players now in my home game now for like, for like four or five years, okay? So they come to me now with like, hey, in the next session, I want to do this or I, can we do this? I want this, talk to this NPC or something. And then, but that's just because we've been playing for such a long time. They know that they can come with me and they're like, I want this moment in this game. And then- We'll do it that way. And that's very much happening right now a ton in my Forbidden Lands game. And this kind of leads me to this next question as far as like how meta do you get with your players in creating these moments? Because yes, you can create a moment. You know that you're going to bring an NPC from the background. But before the session, do you go to your players and kind of talk about it? Because I do that a lot. Like this, this my past session of Forbidden Lands, one of my players... I guess they because they kind of initiated the conversation, they were like, hey, I want to go rescue this elf who is actually my enemy. And we've had this kind of conversation before, but I, I just want to kind of build this kind of more interesting relationship with them. So I want to rescue them. And so we talked about what that looked like. And then we had played the game and that they knew it was coming. And then I gave it to them. So I guess, how meta do you get then with creating these moments with your players? Uh, quite a lot, okay. actually. I think, and this is, again, this is something I have changed and evolved over time, and I, I, I think I'm on the better side of it now. I think it's not easy. I think it's easier to improv comedic moments, which is why improv, improv comedy is a thing in improv drama. I don't know that it is as much. Yeah. So I think if you're building towards like a dramatic scene, like you have rehearsals, like if you're making a movie or in a play, and that doesn't mean that the actual performance can't still be moving. You know, it can be emotional, even though that actor has done that three times, but they have refined it. And it's, when it's time for showtime, that's when they're on, that's when it really matters. And that's what's important. So I absolutely will tell people, hey, I think tonight's going to be a big night for your character. I think you're going to get an opportunity to do this or that. I may not say specifically like you're going to rescue yep. a prisoner, but it may be you're probably going to confront someone from your backstory or you might even, you might be able you might have an opportunity if it works out you might confront the the specific person in your backstory be thinking about how your character would react to that. And I think that's totally fine and I think it works brilliantly for those moments at the table that again become big, memorable role play moments because it's still role play. It's not scripted. It's still going to have those elements in there. But, you know, again, I'm substitute teaching now and I'm not a trained teacher. I have facilitation training in my background. But if you don't leave a lesson plan for me, <laughs> yeah. I am not going to accomplish a damn thing. Yeah. And the lesson plan is only going to help me do so much anyways. So think of it that way. It's like, this is like a loose outline for a big dramatic moment. And I would rather have a big dramatic moment that is quote unquote spoiled because I told him it was coming than for that big dramatic moment to fall flat because I was able to surprise them with it. Like, ha ha, I, I manipulated the game or I, I uh, maneuvered the game. Manipulate's the wrong word. I maneuvered the game to this moment. And then it, it's like, wah, wah, wah. Like my ego's out there. I want this moment for you. And I'll be honest, there's probably going to be me on the other side of it as an NPC. If we have a little bit of time to chat, then I'm probably going to do a better job. 
and help them. Like we're, we're elevating each performer in that moment. So absolutely, I think it's totally fine. Again, if we're going for a comedy game, I'm less likely yeah. to do it because I think comedy is easier. But dramatic, absolutely, I want to give them a heads up. I think it also kind of depends like always on the type of game. So with with the with the sandbox game because it's very much more collaborative with me and my players i'm much more inclined to have these very more detailed conversations because i already let them like pick out place like hexes on the map and say yeah this is a castle over here that's owned by these bandits but and that's just it's a very much more collaborative style of game we play but then on the flip side with ghosts of salt marsh and that being a very very th- dramatic linear story style of game i don't tell my players i don't tell them what's coming or the moments and that's because they also very they like that for that game um Mm -hmm. and it's something it's very much more of a traditional dungeons and dragons game where they don't know what's going to happen i as the dungeon master i know what's going to happen uh, and they're going to interact with what I've created. Whereas with our sandbox game, it's very much way more collaborative, and we're having these side conversations and shooting messages all all week long before our session. So, hmm. yeah, I think it all just kind of depends on the game. But yeah, do not be afraid of the meta. Like, if you if your players feel comfortable and you want to talk about the story, all that's going to do is enhance your game. You're, that means you're playing, like, not on your regular game night. To me, that's like, I like having those conversations. It just makes it makes me feel like my players are more bought into the game that we're playing, which is sweet. It can also help them get more excited. Like you said, you're playing more because yeah. you're playing away from the table a little bit. So they come to the table like excited. They're like, hey, I, tonight might be the big moment. You might find that you have a little less crosstalk or you might have a little less, you know, BSing before the game starts, which is fine to have that. But you might find your players a little bit more you know, ready to go at the time when it's time to start. If you do that, I think ultimately what we've come down to to say is talk to your players. Every table's different. Every game is different and do what works best for your entire table. Yeah. Um, communicate. So, uh, this may be a little, this next table topic, it may be a little bit more, um, decisive. All right. Because I want to ask you, how do you handle minutia of loot? This is this is the next topic. How do you handle minutia of loot in buying and selling? So let's say you go into a goblin cave and you take all the goblin treasure. All right. Do you then spend time divvying out that treasure and going back to town and selling that treasure? What do you do, Michael? What do you do? 80% of the time, I, no. Okay. You just like... Okay, you find various coins and gems and everything, and it adds up together. It's worth a thousand gold. Write a thousand gold on your sheet. We never worry about the actual translation and the communication. The other 20% of the time is when that's important to the story that we're telling, and there's an element to like maybe there's nowhere to sell it and they actually have to find someone, or maybe there's a specific item inside of it that that's what they were after and everything else was secondary. I have also found, I'm not a big fan of it, but sometimes players actually like the let's go to the market session where everyone just gets to role play for a session. I don't really like that as a dungeon master, but I recognize that sometimes my players do. So that's also in that 20% of maybe this is just going to be a shopping session and everyone gets to go and I'll try to make it interesting and try to come up with some interesting PCs and then, you know, maybe roll randomly. They, they end up like finding a magic item that no one knows is magic on like a secondhand store shelf type of a thing. Yeah. But 80% of the time, no 20% of the time, if it's important. So I've struggled with this recently. So with D and D, I don't do this at all. I don't think I've ever used gold. I, we just like, when I we play D&D, it's like, oh, you want a long sword? Yeah, you have a long sword. All right. It's just kind of how we how we play. But uh, the, so, and maybe you've, maybe I, I'd like to hear what you thought about. We played Forbidden Lands recently. And I, that's what I've been running. And Forbidden Lands is very, very much about the loot and about mm-hmm. the buying and selling. That's so key in the game. It's a core aspect of the game. So uh, the, in my game, I've it's uh my my regular game I some of these players are Jake who plays in Saltmarsh and he we don't do any selling or buying in that game but in this game he loves it all right and all of my players love it all right they get their loot 
they come back to town and they're using their player's handbook because all the prices are in there. I'm not giving them prices. Um, they're then selling their stuff and getting it. And I, I struggled so much when we first started doing it because I was like, guys, this is so – I hate this so much. Um, mm. Let's just uh, – let's talk about this after the game session. Or um, you guys divvy it out, and then we get to the next session, and they didn't divvy out their loot or anything. They're like, yeah, we're going to do that. I'm like, guys, this is not what I wanted to do. Um, but uh, we've we've kind of struck a, a happy a happy medium here in our current Forbidden Lands game, and that happy medium is <laughs> I let them sell their loot, and I go get a beer while they're doing that, and um, because they don't need me for that. But I, what did you think about when we were playing Forbidden Lands, because you guys went to the shop, and you guys had a bunch of stuff. Was there any change in the dynamic? Did you feel more inclined that you wanted to manage your inventory more with that game? In a small amount, yes. Um, and I think that just is sort of rolls into what that game is about. And to me, Dungeons & Dragons is not about that. It might have been yeah. earlier editions. Yeah. It might be for some tables. But for me, D&D is more about heroic fantasy. Exactly. You know, I, I don't remember in any of the Lord of the Rings movies <laughs> where they went to the market. Like, there, it might have been one, but I don't remember it. So it's, it's on to the next thing, right? So to me, that just doesn't fit my idea of what that game is about. Where Forbidden Lands, it, isn't, or it is about that type of stuff. And I think that's sort of just leaning into what that game is about. Because the difference between one of our characters having a fur cloak and not having a fur cloak could be literally a life <laughs> or death decision for yep. our characters. So, And we also started with very little money. Yep. So we had to manage that. And I was able to use one of my talents in a role play situation to get us a little extra money that made me feel smart. Like, hey, I've, I've, you know, I've used these rules in a way yeah. um, to give us a little bit of bonus. It wasn't a combat situation. Or it, was an, it was an exploratory situation, which I think that, ta- that task or that talent's really aimed at. So I felt smart. Uh, and then with that, I will also roll into what I said before about not letting your character always be the one that gets the upper hand. Because I really love that about the game that we played with you is that I was able to either outsmart or manipulate my way through two or three encounters. And I, I kept coming out on top. Yeah. And the very last encounter, I knew that <laughs> when I told that dude that I found this in your mind, yeah. that it was going to turn. But I did, I was like, I, I let that happen. I didn't lie and say, oh, we found it so-and-so. Because we needed that. Yeah. Like, that's what that scene needed was for us to to go out on a little bit of a low. And so I, even though I could have had my character be smart again, I let my character be sort of the the butt of that joke yep. for the sake of the story, and I think it worked brilliantly. I'm glad. I didn't know that you, like, tried to do that. I literally thought that I was like, oh, yeah, I got one over on him. I felt so good. Oh, man. No, but, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that there's fun to be had with buying and selling stuff and loot management if the system is really made for it. And I'm just going to mm-hmm. say this right now. I Fifth edition is not... It's not designed well for managing loot. Yes, there's some stuff there, and yes, there's weight and stuff, but it's just it doesn't flow right. If especially if you're trying to do heroic fantasy, it just yeah maybe some of the previous editions really kind of manage that well, but fifth edition it's just I find I've really never used it. So I'd like to know we don't yeah yeah we don't even track gold like I just. They just buy things. I just assume they have enough. Like if they want to do something wild, like they want to, you know, buy a castle, then it'll become yeah. a plot point. But like yeah. when they're in town, I never say how much gold do you have. You know, if they want to bribe a guard, I just say you have enough money to bribe them. If you want to buy a horse, you have enough money. That's never it, I've never had it for my games be more interesting to say no, you don't have enough. Than it is to say, okay, you know, it's like it's like the rock chandelier situation. Yeah, if they want the horse, it's probably because they're going to do something cool with that horse. I'd rather get to the cool part with the horse than the negotiation for the price. But that's the game I run. That doesn't mean it's the game for everybody. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the one time that it's came up, it was because my players really wanted to interact with that. It was when we were doing Waterdeep Dragon Heist. They were running their tavern, so they wanted to go find alchemy jugs so that they could just make infinite wine. And that was like the only, and then sell it and make infinite gold. And they got a kick out of that. So it's like, okay, sure, you guys can do that. But it very much came down to a situational thing. 
So yeah, I think it's it's very much situational what the game you're playing is. I would like to know if anybody in our Discord or if anybody listening uses 5th edition and uses the gold and the encumbrance and really tracks that that minutia and if they enjoy it and how they handle it at their table. So yeah, let us know because I've never found anybody who does. So I'm sure you're out there. So yes, but they're probably not listening to our show. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? All right. So final question, email question. All right. This is the big email. Which again question. Is, I'm pretty sure we made this question up and said it was from an emailer. If you have, if you're listening right now and you have an email question, shoot it to the RPG Academy at gmail.com and we will read it all right yes we'll do it we will will, as long as it's appropriate okay uh and not personal don't be asking me any weird questions okay so the you guys were talking about using maps and somebody wanted to know two things all right about using maps if you use maps do you use pre-made maps or do you draw your own you know on one of those chess x boards or if you're using maps also do you like very detailed maps or do you like rough maps yeah, I'm I'm pretty much anti-map at this point. I think I've been pretty much open about that. I've I've leaned heavily into theater of the mind. I much prefer it as a game master. I much prefer it as a player. I just find it it just suits my style of gaming so much better. One of the things I don't like about maps is I'm terrible at them. And I know we've talked about this multiple times. If I try to draw a map, it looks awful. So then I try to get through it quickly. And by doing so, I make it look even worse. So then it doesn't even work for a map because I've tried so hard not to take up time at the table. So one of the things that I did come to appreciate, and I I got this from Rich Baker, and I think I've told the same exact story somewhere along the lines, is what Rich would do, or at least in a game I played with him, is he took a pre-made map. But then when he wrote his adventure, he wrote it to the map that he had. So rather than saying this is a cave and this cave is going to have like this, you know, cage here, there was a map that happened to have a cage. And so when his when he wrote up the encounter, it included there being a cage there and things in the in the in the cage. And to me, that makes more sense because there are so many online digital tools you can go and find, you know, almost unlimited infinity maps for pretty much nothing or pay what you want or reasonable costs. So if you want to use a map, I would say go find a map that you think is really cool and then write your encounter or tweak your encounter to match that specific map so that you get the most benefit out of it rather than trying to write an encounter and then find a map that best suits that. Unless you can make your own maps and then you're doing both anyways. Yeah, so I've kind of gone back and forth on this. So when I first started running uh, RPGs, all right, I used maps. When I started playing D&D 5e, had the starter set. It has lots of cool maps in there. And what I did was um, I'm an engineer by trade. Typically, I have access to a big plotter. I would plot big, make, make big maps. And this is what Jared said he did. He used maps. And so... I would make maps. I would then cut them out to pieces and I would lay them on the table. And we would really like, and we had so much fun. I still have a lot of those maps and they were big, gorgeous maps that we had printed. It was some of the coolest campaigns that I've ever had. So, but I will say this, when I was doing that, a couple things, some caveats here. First, I didn't have any kids. All right. So second, I was not doing a podcast. All right. And third, I was very much at the beginning of my career. So with all those three things in mind, I had so much freaking time. Like I had so much time to print maps, do encounters, and it was awesome. So now I don't have any time. So I don't do maps. All right. It's just a lot of legwork to print these things out, especially if you don't have a plotter. You're trying to use the poster tool and Adobe, and it's very much, it's very confusing. But I will say this for Saltmarsh, for example, digital games, I use maps. It's very simple. You know, it's a it's a, a JPEG or a PNG. You drop into your Roll20 game or you use the pre-built Roll20 tools that have all the tokens on it already. And that's what we use. And I love that. Uh, but that's a digital game. It's very different. And I'm, I like using maps for digital games because it's simple. And then I use pre-made maps. I actually will go ahead and shout out. I use neutral party maps. Um, they're one of the few people uh, I support them on Patreon. They make gorgeous maps and very, very plain, like not plain, they're very detailed, but they're very much generic. Like here's a city, here's a swamp, here's a cave. And that's what I want. I don't want these big adventure specific maps. I want here's a city, you know, 
Uh, and then I've used the Chessex maps before. And like you, Michael, I find so often that if I try to use it and draw my own map, it just destroys the momentum. Like instantly, like we're oh, cool moment. The drill bursts through the cave door. You guys are all going to it's it's tragic. And then I'm like, all right, guys, hold on. Give me five minutes. And I just like, right. yeah. So I go back and forth. Forbidden Lands, I don't use maps because it's not a map system um what we use instead is pictures it's like here's the town and it just kind of i do like having visual elements to inspire players but no grid maps for d online digital games for dnd yes maps in person dnd we're doing theater of the mind um and that's yeah it's just i can we it and you know what i get it it takes more experience I, I, with my new players, when I first started playing, and me being new, I didn't understand that. Having that visual representation on the table ma- allowed us to role play so much better. So, and I used maps and minis for years, and now I'm against it. I mean, if I keep playing, when I hit like seventy, I might go the other way. But right now, I'm hardcore <sighs> kind of snobbery into the theater of the mind. There is a small part of me that really wants to buy one of those Beetle and Grim sets that has all the maps for the adventure pre-printed oh, there's and run that we, we need to get justice to hook us up he yeah. can give us a, a a media copy of one of those yeah we'll do a just, review just to, we'll do an unboxing yeah, justice. all right we don't have yeah all right anyway uh yeah no maps they're cool i like them but it's a lot of work i i respect i respect you if you do maps though but if i'm in your game i would prefer you didn't Okay. Yep. All right. So, uh, no, so that was kind of, you had a lot of little topics there. So that was it. Uh, you, you wound up with maps. Michael, you, I, you didn't change your opinion on maps. You said very much theater of the mind. And Jared was like, maps are great. You know, they gotta, Mm -hmm. they immerse your characters. But see, I think what's interesting is, is because I know Jared runs a lot of like zombie games. He runs Ah. a particular zombie game that's like basically The Walking Dead. And he uses like Google Maps and like he'll put you in like your hometown and you'll he'll say he'll have Google Maps and he'll like he'll pull up where the local Kroger is and he'll know that there's a Kroger next to a car wash. I think in that type of game, yeah, maps probably would work kind of like how tracking money in Forbidden Lands kind of feels right. So I kind of think that in a zombie type game, in, in that specific type of zombie game, I probably would like the idea that you could just use Google Maps and, you know, you're literally like in the layout of your own house type of a thing when the zombies attack. But I still don't think a D&D game, which is still the majority of my experience both running and playing, I don't think it's necessary. I think it's actually subtractive. Like I think all things being equal, I would rather play in a game without them than with them, even if we do just as much role play or whatever, you know, whatever you want to say. Um, cause I'm not sure that's exactly possible. So in, so to clarify to Jared's point, I think he was probably thinking yeah. more about that type of game than he was, uh, kicking down the door and fighting a troll game. The other thing too, um, I will say this 5e very much, um, kind of emphasizes theater of the mind. Um, it very, it very much does. Yes. There's lots of maps and stuff, but a lot of people play theater of the mind uh and it's not like i've never played any other editions but i know that from reading through some older books first first edition and then also like 4e very much were you know had all the maps and stuff the grid maps and everything the hex maps and very much more you know designed with that intent so hmm. lots of different ways to do it so that kind of wraps up our recap of dungeon talk anything else that you want to add there michael no i think that's it uh, as always i want to thank you for taking the time you do all the heavy lifting on these episodes you go back and listen to the old dungeon talks you come up with the talking points you put the show notes together literally could not do it without you just like we could not do this without our patrons over on patreon.com slash the rpg academy um, if you have comments questions or concerns this you now being the audience no longer tom please email us at the rpg academy gmail.com you can find me on twitter at the rpg academy you can also find me on our discord which is an open invite to anyone though there are some patron only channels tom where can people find you you can follow me at Bezcar Tom on Twitter. Yes, it's Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter. And I recently started doing a Patreon show uh, that you can get access to at the $5 level, which is my magic shop class. Super excited about that. I'm having fun. You know, it's just me talking about, I'm going through all the magic items in the DMG, telling you all how to use them. So 
we put one of those out on the main feed recently, so you would have had an opportunity to listen to that to see if that's something you would be interested in getting weekly, uh, along with some other stuff that we do for our patrons only. So enough shilling for the Patreon, yep. though it is important. Um, just remember, folks, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.